Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Current Events with Max and Colborn. I am your host, Max Cohen, and joining me, as he does for every episode of Current Events, my trusty co-host, Colborn Bell, the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. Colborn, how are you? Uh, I'm very well, Max. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. I've learned the lessons of the past, and now you're asking me how you how I... <laughs> <laughs> A little more polite. We're going to start it cordially. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, good, sir. Let's jump right into our topic today. Uh, this is the fourth part of our fundamental text of crypto art mini series. We've talked about uh, the uh, what's, cypherpunk manifesto. We've let me try that again. <laughs> talked about way too much at this point. We've talked about the cypherpunk manifesto by Eric Hughes, written in 1993. We've talked about Art Gnomes, What is Crypto Art, written in 2018. We've talked about the Futurist Manifesto by F.C. Marinetti, um, which was written in 1909. And now we're only going to jump a couple years in the future from that to 1916. And we're going to sell ourselves in Zurich, where a gentleman by the name of Hugo Ball, a poet and author, is... Uh, releasing the Dataist Manifesto to his self-proclaimed gaggle of Dataists. Um, Hugo Ball, 30 years old, Dataist Manifesto. Um, I certainly haven't founded an art movement by the time, um, or I, I, I can't imagine I will by the time I'm 30, so pretty good accomplishment there. This is neither here nor there, but I took a uh, history of film and TV class in college, and the professor walked in on the first day, and everyone's like bright-eyed and smiling and bushy-tailed and fancying themselves artists, and he says... All right, welcome to class, everybody. Um, how many people know how old Orson Welles was when he founded the Mercury Theater Company? And nobody knew, and he said he was 18. So any of you who consider yourselves wunderkinds, you are too late. Um, <laughs> which again, neither here nor there. But the Dadaist Manifesto obviously is the founding text of Dadaism, which is one of the most important like modernist art movements. It would go on to spawn Cubism very directly. Uh, and a lot of the artists that we would know coming forward um, whether that's Picasso, whether that's the Surrealists, whether that's even people mid-century like Francis Bacon, um, these folks would owe a, a large debt towards um, dadism, And it's kind of focus on absurdity. Um, as I like to do with all of these foundational texts, I think it's important to just start off with a quote. And this one comes from the beginning of the manifesto. How does one achieve eternal bliss? By saying data. How does one become famous? By saying data with a noble gesture and delicate propriety, till one goes crazy, till one loses consciousness? How can one get rid of everything that smacks of journalism, worms, everything nice and right, blinkered, moralistic, Europeanized, enervated, by saying data? Data is the world's soul. Data is the pawn shop. Data is the world's best lily milk soap. In plain language, the hospitality of the Swiss is something to be profoundly appreciated. And in questions of aesthetics, the key is quality. So that was quite long and quite dense. And a lot of this, even though it's a pretty short manifesto, it's pretty wordy and pretty kind of like out there. But the patron saint of data, you can pretty much tell from both that quote and from reading the manifesto yourself is nonsense or rather absurdity. And that was what kind of jolted the dataists forward was this reliance not on logic. It was defying logic by turning towards absurdity and nonsense. Uh, when we talked about the Futurist Manifesto, we talked about the world of 1909, which was on the cusp of World War I. 1916, Europe was already in the throes of what would become World War I, or maybe it had already started. I apologize for not having my dates completely correct, but there was quite a lot of new technology that was bringing devastating consequences onto the European continent. And so where logic, which 
presumably bred that technology and bred that warfare and bred that violence uh, was failing people, the data is turned towards nonsense. So we've talked a lot about the parallels of the early 1900s to today with crypto art, but nonsense or rather absurdity also seems to be the patron saint of crypto art, but for very different reasons. And the reason I say that is because like individual nodes of crypto, crypto art are logical, right? One artist's career might follow a logical trajectory, but when you take it all together, the glut of it is totally absurd. And my question to you, Colborn, is, is that absurdity a natural consequence of having this kind of like geographically and cultural amorphous art movement to turn towards like a collective absurdity? What a tough and powerful leading question, Max. Thank you. Yeah, I want to just <laughs> fucking start out these conversations. <laughs> I know that when you, when you have just like this long pregnant sigh that I've done. Yeah, like, um, that was a banger. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to say what I'm going to say and probably not respond to the question. There's there's a couple things here. You go to the word itself, Dada, right? The babbling infant, uh, the thing that comes first. It's a return and rejection of that formality. I think also of kind of, you know, the the suits uh, that perhaps the, the genders wear of, of oppression, the way we present ourselves visually, how we choose to like adorn our body for, for men the longest time, you know, the suit and tie was the performance of propriety, uh, perhaps of wealth, excellence, like business, right? Maybe for, for women, something like the high heel, uh, just kind of imagine the absurdity of the the presentation and the symbols. So, you know, even at this time, what it means to don the the military uniform and fight for the abstract of one's country um, at perhaps a time when you know the the stakes were higher and maybe the the morals were a little more clear cut. Well, we do, we do call the generation that fought in World War II, at least in America, the greatest generation, which feels loaded. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here here we are now. Uh, are the <laughs> we've, we've left a bit of the physicality. Uh, the, the war of information happens perhaps online or behind closed doors, uh, perhaps in cyberspace. And I don't know, what was your question? Well, it was about it, whether it's, a, it's about, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about how we connect the world together as one and returning to, to babbling. Right. Sure. And I think there is mimetic babbling that has emerged from crypto art that is universal. Um, and, you know, you see, and it's nice because it's, it's recorded on chain kind of the progression of resonance of things, perhaps like X copies glitch art and so many people following in the style or kind of the minimalism vector based style that Grant Yoon had that so many people followed in the style. What, you know, Pepe the Frog encapsulates and speaks for what it means to have, um, you know, our friends of Dada have a free form open drawing app right there Absolutely. is there is no barrier to entry in accessing and feeling something from a visual that is provided mm -hmm. and here we go in kind of this collective back and forth babble call and response uh that is laying a universal groundwork 
Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I love those three examples that you gave of the rare Pepe's of Grant Yoon's neo-precisionism and then X copies like Gothic glitch because they have nothing to do with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not obviously inspired by each other. um, And yet they share these principles. And I think that that's like where I find the absurdism in crypto art and this nonsense. It's coming from these confluences, right? Everyone's life is an entirely absurd journey. That's so based on coincidences and random encounters and like the, unintelligible march of history that a deposited us here and deposit all the people here that we interact with and that form our communities like life is inherently an absurd journey and so you're taking you know unlike um i'm gonna go anthropophagia right the brazilian um mid-20th century art movement which was trying to find like a common logic and understanding and common vocality for like brazilian society around that time but when you have all of these artists doing the same thing intentionally and un- unintentionally from their own histories, their own cultures, which span the entire globe, which span the entire age range, which span uh, people's technical backgrounds, you end up with, like you said, this Tower of Babel where everybody is speaking in their own entirely logical language, but together it's just this dull roar. Um, I want to move this into another question that I think is really interesting and perhaps we could spend the whole time on is can nonsense and absurdity be designed or does it have to be stumbled into? Like, can one person decide towards the nonsensical or does it have to be a product of many people uh, unwittingly engaging in it? I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think the people call each other to participate in the ways that they know. Right. So inherently there had to be, a bit of an absurdity in the early days to begin to attract all of these people together, right? It's what makes it fun. It's what makes it inherently creative. Uh, it, it's what makes it so exciting. And the reason why people choose and continue to participate, you know, everybody I think is constantly looking to break free from their routine. Uh, and artists in particular are, are looking to kind of return to and connect to source uh which inspires and informs you know the the movement forward and the expression thereof and there's another quote that this reminds me of and the quote is it's a question of connections and of loosening them up a bit to start with i don't want words that other people have invented all the words are other people's inventions i want my own stuff my own rhythm and vowels and consonants too matching the rhythm and all my own if this pulsation is seven yards long, I want words for it that are seven yards long. Mm-hmm. But even still, like you said, we want to break out of our routines. We want to break out of ourselves. We want to challenge ourselves. But that's so difficult because we only know what we know. We've only experienced what we've experienced. So as an artist, whether you're me writing fiction or you know a crypto artist creating visual work, the idea of trying to push back on everything you know and reach into what you don't know or reach into what's challenging you and find something there that you can explore it's a completely illogical process to begin with. I mean, I guess the idea of artistry is illogical to begin with. Um, maybe we don't need to spend too much time on that, but like it is a naturally ridiculous um, expression of oneself to take, again, like the words and logic that we have to describe the world around us and transmute them into these other forms, into these visual or musical languages. As we're speaking of languages, like, when did you start to notice that crypto art was developing or had developed its own language? We spoke about this when, with, when we talked about Art Gnome's piece, but he called the uh, ability to express oneself within artistry and be successful, he called that dankness, which is kind mm-hmm. of like a crypto art specific term. So I'm curious, like, when did it first dawn on you that there was a, a whole language here that you had to learn and when did you start learning it? <laughs> 
Well, you know, first, first I had to learn the language of crypto. Uh, and I think that is what is so difficult for, you know, I, <laughs> I, you know, my progression is really first of learning the language of finance, right. Mm. Of studying economics and psychology, and then learning the language of finance and experiencing, you know, both, both finance and the way humans relate to money in the belly of the beast yeah. in New York city. Um, and then discovering crypto and that of course, having its own language around what is, you know, happening and occurring that has, you know, classic parallels, but is in no way the same and continuing to delve deeper from there. So, you know, where, where does it begin? Well, everything of course begins and builds from your experiences as a child. Yeah. But, but this is what I'm saying, right? It's like everything builds off of your experiences of a child as a child, which then informs your worldview, which then informs what activities you get into, which then informs the languages you speak. And then the links of language that you can then learn from there on. And it's all very logical. Even if we attempt to confound that logic, uh, it still follows its own path. You can still understand logically the ways you're even challenging your own logic. It's only by introducing new logic streams and twisting them up and tangling in the way that crypto art does that I think you can really reach that absurdity, right? Nothing can be absurd within its own context because it's all informed by itself. It's only yeah. when you mash together these completely unrelated contexts that are completely unaware of each other that you get the real data of the thing, right? The real kind of avant-garde. It can never, it has to be understood as a collective. It has to be understood as like the confluence of things. Does that make sense? Uh, it it does. And here's perhaps like an interesting point is I went through the first, whatever it was, 28 years of my life, only experiencing uh, the world around me. And it was only when I found crypto that I felt confident expressing uh, what was happening to me. And perhaps because it felt that there was a language that was unwritten and there was room to kind of babble through the new that I felt like I wasn't entering a place where I would be kind of perhaps prejudged for those expressions, mm -hmm. but there was an ability to be honest about the experiences because again, we were all treading so far into a bit of the great unknown uh, and, you know, you take yourself and, and the values and visions and all of these things that you see, and, you know, this becomes an exploratory playground for self, uh, but it is more fun and I think important to, you know, begin to express and share just as we are here, what is happening in real time as we dive. Has being within crypto art for as long as you have has that challenged many of your like expectations of yourself? Has it forced you into some kind of like illogic? Uh, you know, it's, it's not so difficult for myself anymore. Mm. Right. But I do recognize that it can be difficult for the people around me because, you know, there is almost a continued rejection of, you know, it, it's just, you embrace so much the chaos, mm -hmm. right? And, and it, it, a lot of it exists in your own head, right? They, the people around you, they don't see or understand the 
things that you are seeing every day, the people that you're talking to online, it all exists in this theoretical playground of, of the mind. And you begin to assign like personality and character traits to profile pictures. And you're, you're, you're building an imaginative universe as one would do in writing. Although, you know, the complexities of such perhaps, you know, exist on a, on a exponential scale. I'm going to continue to hit you with very difficult conceptual questions and I apologize in advance, but is it possible to maintain the babble in perpetuity or is it the fate of an art movement specifically, even one that's founded in or exemplifies nonsense, absurdity, chaos, the way crypto art does, is it its fate to lose its pizzazz and I don't know, like individuality over time? I think it's the responsibility of the artist. Yeah. To maintain the babble. Uh, and everybody else is welcome to interpret it and put words to it and direct it, uh, you know, downstream into history through the populace as, as they see fit for whatever, you know, reason they might have, probably largely economic. Although, you know, there are countless subtexts that were kind of done of inspiration, as I believe Art Gnome's What is Crypto Art article was, mm. right? And I believe some of, you know, your a lot of your explorations of this and just trying to put words to it is invaluable. So maybe that's a question for you. You know, how have you found the process of interpreting, you know, the babble? Like even going and asking collectors what they collect is it's a really, those are strong signals of, of interpreting the babble. Well, that's the thing, right? Is like, if you were to stop crypto art today, if you were to just say, just pause everything, right? All the intentions, all the provenance, all the artworks today, the issue is that while it is babble at first, you can make logic out of it. You can make many different logics out of it, but at a certain point it becomes understandable because it's finite, right? For the chaos to continue, it requires more food right? You need to bring more people in with more weird intentions, um, fighting for different uh, qualities, fighting for dominance in their own ways, introducing just new nodes into the system to get tangled up and crisscrossed, right? Entropy requires continuation in order to survive. So, I mean, the process of, you know, narratives are not born, they are made, mm, right? Exactly. Robness did not take two minutes and mint a trash, a glitchy trash can and probably expect that it would be removed for violating the terms of service, mm -hmm. right? And who could have ever foreseen that so many people would have been up in arms about something like that? But, you know, there is there is a poetic group of absurdists that love to, you know, just continue to push and prod, and wherever they see a wall, you know, they run head steam, <laughs> like full on into that wall and either they break through it or, or they bump their head and either way they get back up and do it again. And, and you also have to take into consideration like the character of that wall if we're talking Babel, right? Is it soft? Is it hard? Is it made of concrete? Is it made of like many fingers that are all reaching out and like trying to touch you? Is it like surrealist? Is it absurdist? Like all, it's not just about the people in it. It's about the circumstances that they bring which build themselves into foundations and establishments and then how people react to those new things right the again the absurdity has to come from like new materials being introduced and then spurring people to act in new ways based on that like ai has reintroduced absurdity into crypto art it's re-announced or announced all these new questions that we have to reckon with and all these new um 
figures that are coming in and using AI and all these new ways that AI is being utilized within artistry, right? Every time I came to some kind of a narrative understanding of what crypto art is or, or what one facet of crypto art is, something would inevitably come along and upend that. And that's where the chaos comes from, right? These two things that are both true and untrue at the same time, because they contradict each other, yet they exist within the same sphere. I mean, you know, what does it mean? Yeah, in this, what does it mean to have an emotion that cannot be expressed with words? Qualia. Yeah. The um, the Dadaist manifesto as a whole is perhaps a bit too optimistic and unrealistic for my taste. Um, it does not really take into consideration like the very human necessities of being an artist. Um, and obviously Dadaism wants to live right on the edge of the avant-garde um, and it's constantly like, renaming and repurposing itself and other things to evade like logic and order but that just feels really difficult in a practical sense when you consider like market conditions and artists needing to eat and all that and having to move towards the mainstream or having to quit challenging logic because they have actual practical concerns um there was a lot of like romanticism towards artistry and philosophy i think in like this modernist 20th century world of like art movements on the art continuum. And in the 21st century, it seems like that's been tamped down by like a pessimism, like, or maybe not pessimism per se, but like, like a bipolar, um, like oscillation between like, we're dead and we're so back and <laughs> like applying these like outward logical constructs onto a, a situation to like, keep it from seeming too absurd or keep it from like fully embracing the data of the thing. Is it good to lack that romanticism towards artistry or is it harmful? Uh, and then can we achieve that again? I think the, the, the babbling child does not survive without a caretaker, right? So who does, you know, the artist as babbling child, who is, who are they a ward of? You know, because it's it's impossible to to be so free uh, and at the same time still exist in in the human condition. And of course, again, you know, no no great beauty emerges from from without a great struggle. So mm. you know, the the dichotomy and these things that continue to to rub up against each other, and and the extent to which one as an individual is willing to go to explore this and return to this is i think what separates you know good artists from from frankly great artists this has been a deeply conceptual podcast and i want to leave us all with another deeply conceptual thought from it so this is the final quote i will give today from the data is manifesto by hugo ball quote each thing has its word but the word has become a thing by itself why shouldn't i find it why can't a tree be called pluplush and pluplush when it has been raining the word, the word, the word outside your domain, your stuffiness, this laughable impotence, your stupendous smugness, outside all the parity of your self-evident limitedness. The word, gentlemen, is a public concern of the first importance. And I am not going to try and parse that out today. I'm simply going to sit with it and maybe return to it in the future. Any last thoughts, Colborn, on the Dadaist Manifesto, which I've had a really great time going through with you and yeah, at, at least, you know, at least he called us gentlemen. At least it called us gentlemen. Um, <laughs> it seems maybe a bit alien to its own language, but a little bit. Nevertheless, this has been the last of our 
four-part current event miniseries on some of the foundational texts of crypto art. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. There are certainly plenty of other uh, options to choose from. We wanted to choose some that talked about crypto, that talked about aesthetics, that talked about like the greater context that we're in. Obviously, when we talked about Art Gnome, that was about crypto art specifically. Um, Colborn, any last words for the people on this miniseries or on the Dada's Manifesto before we get out of here? No, I find the philosophy really engaging and uh, I hope everybody does as well. I hope so too. I can tell you from personal experience that when I first entered crypto art, it was a great help to ground myself a little bit in art history and the 19th century, or I'm sorry, the 20th century of art movements and literary movements and philosophical movements, because like it or not, we are a product of the past. We are a continuation of the past, no matter how much we rage against it. And we will be an indelible link in the chain to the future. That uh, So understanding our place, I think is super important. And hopefully this mini series of podcasts helps you understand our place in this whole thing a little bit better. If you liked any of the mini shows we did, or you like what we are doing in general, uh, we implore you to give us a subscribe or a follow or a five-star review on Spotify or Apple or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you want to see this kind of theoretical babbling and writing, we release a newsletter every Wednesday uh, where we answer your questions. You can submit questions to us at hello at museumofcryptoart.com, or we have a dedicated Google form. Just search for us on Twitter at Museum of Crypto. If you want to find it, then you can follow our Substack at museumofcrypto.substack.com. We really appreciate you being with us on this little journey, and we can't wait to see you soon. Bye, people. Goodbye, people. Thanks again for being here with us. And this has been Current Events with Max and Colborne. Adios. Thank you. This has been another episode of Current Events with Max and Colborn. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Colborn, as always, for being my co-host. Our intro music was composed by Julian Brangold, so a big thank you to him. And once again, thank you to all of you for being with us. We'll be back soon with another episode of Current Events. So long.